A reading from Deuteronomy. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might pre preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. The word of the Lord. A reading from 1 Timothy. <clears throat> do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things well, <clears throat> so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, Why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. 
But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from us is given to God, he need not honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, when did Isaiah prophesy, well, did pro Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. We give you thanks and praise, Father, for you have called us uh, to yourself. You have adopted us into your family. And we pray, Lord, that you would grow us um, as your um, disciples. May we always know ourselves as your children. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> There's a poem by Philip Larkin uh, called This is the Verse. Um, it's actually not a long poem, but I'm not going to read the whole poem to you because it has strong language in it. So be warned if you Google it later, your pastor warned you. Strong language. But um, it basically um, speaks of parents and how parents mess you up. Um, and uh, he speaks of that of in the first uh, stanza of the poem. He says this, parents mess you up. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had and add some extra just for you. <laughs> Goes on and says in the second stanza, but you know, they had parents as well who, you know, passed on their faults to them, so you can't totally blame them. And then it ends saying this, man hands on misery to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out as early as you can and don't have any kids yourself. Not exactly a hopeful poem. I even wrestled a little bit, you know, told my wife, should I read this? But there's a reason. It's a very popular poem. It was listed 100 top poems in English in some survey I, I read because it resonates, right? I mean, I think we all agree that's not good advice. Get out as early as you can. There's some debate. Does that mean get out of family as early as you can or does that mean just get out of life as early as you can? Um, that's not hopeful. Right? And of course, we value children um, and uh, rightly value family. And yet, again, there's something that we can sympathize with in this poem and when we hear it, both as parents right, and as children. Right? We know what it is to, in a sense, receive faults and receive difficulties and challenges from your family and from your parents. We also, probably many of us, know what it is to feel great pressure as parents, to feel that sense of, I don't want to mess up my children. And I, I feel a real fear around that. And yet we have in the scriptures, right, a clear love and value for family. And we see that, right, today in the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother so that you may have long life in the land, that it may go well with you. As the Apostle Paul later says in Ephesians, this is a commandment that comes with a promise. But even as we hear this commandment and as we seek to value it and obey it, we can also acknowledge that the scriptures are not dishonest about the challenges that come in living in a family. They're very honest about the ways that parents can pass on their faults, pass on damage even to their children, right? We see it, right? In Genesis 3, don't we? Where Adam and Eve, our parents, right? Our, our foreparents gave into temptation, turned away from the Lord, gave into sin, and that affects us even to this day, right? That's how powerful, again, the role of parents are. As we continue in the scriptures, right, we see God calling a family to himself when he calls Abraham to himself. And we see Abraham and Sarah seeking to bless um, their child, Isaac. 
but we also see ways in which they pass on their sin to him. We see Isaac and Rebekah, right, seeking to bless their children. Esau and Jacob, but we see ways in which family dynamics are passed on to them and damage is done to them. We see Jacob and his two wives, the fact that he has two wives affects his children in, in not great ways, right, continuing to pass that on. In the story of King David, who is a man after God's own heart, King David is celebrated, right, as a man who sought the Lord, and yet we see multiple instances in his life where as a dad, he actually really damaged and hurt his children. And so the scriptures, again, don't deny that reality, and yet they call us to honor our parents, to honor what it means to be in a family. Just a, a word before we consider uh, this uh, passage more and how to live it out, right? That word honor is really important, right? It comes in the, in the commandment right before this, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. It basically means to esteem, to value, even as a sense of giving glory to. Right? The opposite of honor, and the, for the, the Hebrew word that's used there, is shame. Right? They often go together, right? Honor, shame. You've probably heard that. Honor and shame cultures. Right? The idea of dishonoring your parents is actually to, to seek to bring shame upon them. And so that's what honor means. Certainly it includes obedience, right, in, rightly. But I think it's significant, actually, that in Ephesians, when the Apostle Paul speaks to children, he says, obey your parents in the Lord. Right? He wants to make clear there is an obedience you're called to in the Lord, right? Don't obey your parents if that means, you know, sinning and, um, you know, destructive things. But in the Lord, we're called to obey. In the Lord, we're called to honor. So as we consider this commandment, the first thing we can say is to obey this commandment is actually to honor that God has set up family structures, that he has set up, right, the, the family, he has established the office of mother and father. So part of honoring this is, again, honoring what God has done. And again, like Molly talked about last week with the Sabbath, we see this right from the beginning, the importance, right? In Genesis 1, right, we hear of man and woman, Adam and Eve, being created in God's image, male and female. And the first thing God says to them is, be fruitful and multiply. Have children, right? I am creating you to have families. I am creating the, the family, right, as a, a key social, you know, um, uh, component of, of society right there in Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, when we get more specific details around the creation of Adam and Eve, right, the Lord says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And that one flesh union leads to children. Right? That's God's idea. And then we look at our Deuteronomy passage, and we can see right there the importance of, of family, the importance of the role of mothers and fathers. Deuteronomy is basically a long speech uh, given by Moses uh, to the people of God not long before he dies. And basically he's calling them, remember everything you've learned. Remember how God has worked in your midst. Remember the laws that he has given you. And we see that right in this passage, right? This is the commandment, right? The statutes, the rules that you're called to obey. Fear the Lord your God. Honor the Lord your God, right? As God, right? Honor his holiness. Honor that he is all-powerful. And then it immediately says, see that in verse 2, you and your son, and your son's son. So right there, even as he's saying, honor God, he's just assuming, and this is going to be passed on. Right? This will be passed on to your children. And we see then in verses 4 through 8 what that looks like. Right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So this is for you, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. 
Right? You've got to love that. Like parents are with their kids a lot, you know, especially when they're young. And just do life and think through as you're living your life, how are you teaching your children? Right? I mean, there's an expectation. This is just happening all the time. You're always finding ways to teach them. And we see then that final paragraph from Deuteronomy 6, that part of that teaching them is teaching them the story, right? basically telling them the story. This is how God has worked. This is how God has worked in his family, and you are part of this family. And what I love about the, the wording there is you can hear in the, the telling of that story that it's basically the child is learning, this is your story, right? the we, the us. Like You're included in this. This is what God does, and you're part of it. Right? In a sense, you were saved from slavery in Egypt. Right? You may not have been there when it happened, but because this is your story, because this is your background, you're included in it. I was talking to someone recently about when you get married um, and you become one, there's a way in which that person you marry, like their past becomes sort of like your past. Right? Sometimes in sort of strange ways where you kind of feel like, oh, like I didn't, you know, for me, you know, I didn't grow up in Minnesota, but sometimes I feel like I do because I married someone that did. And you kind of, you share that. Right In our um, Easter vigil service, if, if you've ever been to our vigil service, and if not, it's coming in about six weeks, um, uh, we'll be having uh, Easter vigil. It's a service we do on the Saturday night before Easter. Uh, one of the highlights of that service is when we read the story of the parting of the Red Sea and the Israelites coming out of slavery um, in Egypt. And there's a moment often that I experience in that service when we read um, that reading and celebrate and sing after that reading as, as if we were there. It's as if we went through, you know, the Red Sea being parted and came out of slavery. In a sense, we did, right? Because we belong to the people of God, right? This is our people. This is our story. And children, right, need to learn that. There's a teaching component here, right, that parents are called to, right? And this commandment, again, honor your father and mother, right? I believe in it is the commandment to parents, live in this way, right? Seek to be honorable in how you live. And you do that by teaching your kids, but in that teaching component, there's also clearly a modeling component, right? I mean, what comes out is you're just living life with your children. They're watching you. They're seeing what you're doing. I remember um, years ago hearing a, a story, and it was about, um, you know, parents that want their kids to read, you know? And this guy was saying, you know, I talk with parents. They're like, I want my kids to read. I want my kids to love books, right? You know, that may not be value for every parent, but he was speaking to that. And he said, here's what I tell parents. If you want kids to love books, like, read to them. Yes, you know, tell them books are great. But the biggest thing you can do is read. Like if your, parent, if your kids see you reading, they're going to be like, oh, reading must be a good thing. My parents are reading. He actually said, sometimes you need to tell your kids, stop bothering me, I'm reading. Right? That's how much I love reading, is you actually need to go do something else right now. So the kids watch. right? We model to them. Let me just say that this um, reality really informs actually our church and how we think about children's ministry and youth ministry. We're very aware, right, that the time a youth leader or a Sunday school teacher or, you know, a children's pastor gets with children um, and youth is very limited, right? A couple hours at the most, right? And usually less than that, right? Our job, we believe, is to empower, to encourage, to support families, right? And we can help them, right? And that's actually the calling of the church is to help families. But we believe in some ways the little church, right, the, the, the mini church is the family, right? And that's where we're called to come alongside them. But again, parents, I believe part of our calling is actually to say, God's called us to community. We need help, right? We can call upon the community that surrounded us, that God has put us in, to help us as parents. And part of what we teach our children, what teach children grow up to learn is, oh, I've got, you know, my parents, but I've got many people to learn from, and many people who can be a model to me. 
you can see actually when you consider this commandment in light of this, right, how it would be that this would lead to long time in the land, like why there's a promise to it. Because this is, if this is happening the way God has set it out, right, then people are remembering, oh, this is who God is, right? I grew up learning who God is. I, I won't forget who he is. I've, I, this has been instilled in me and entrusted to me, right? And what happened? When did the, you know, people come out of the land? When did they go into exile? It's when they forgot who they were. It's when they forgot who God was, when they started to run after idols as opposed to trusting in the Lord. Now, this commandment, again, certainly speaks to young children and children still in the home, but we should also acknowledge this is a commandment for all of life. In all of our life, we are called to honor our parents. All of life, we are called to that parenting role, um, whatever that looks like uh, for us. We see that uh, so clearly. We see it in a lot of places. We see it in our, our First Timothy reading. Right? It's kind of a strong <laughs> rebuke there, isn't it, um, that, the, the, that Paul is passing on to Timothy. But we see how important it is, right? He says, basically, if anyone does not provide for his relatives at the very end, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's basically saying, you don't grow out of honoring your father and mother. And sometimes that may look like providing financially for them. Right? But that's a lifelong call. And again, I believe it's a lifelong call for parents to be honorable and to seek to honor the calling that they've been given, the preciousness and the importance, the very, very important role that they're called to. So we can, again, think of this as honor the office of father and mother, honor the, the family structures that God has put in place, but it's also very personal, right? It's personal to us. Honor your father and mother. And there may be a temptation to say, okay, this is a great idea, and I honor the idea, but in my situation, eh, you know, I, I'm kind of the exception to this. And, and to be clear, I'm kind of saying that flippantly, but I don't say it lightly at all. But I do think, actually, the gospel reading is helpful for us as we think through what does this look like personally, right? What does it look like to, to live this out in relationship? Right? It's kind of an interesting passage. You may say, what's going on there? Um, so if you look at that there at the bottom of page 7, right, um, the Pharisees and scribes come to Jesus. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. So just to be clear, this is not about hygiene, right? They didn't know about germs. And so their concern isn't about hygiene. Their concern is about this tradition, right, that actually probably came, came out of a good thing. Right, the tradition basically is, you know, wash your hands before you eat, because that shows your desire to be clean, right? And we see in the Old Testament law, right, there's a lot about being clean and being unclean. And so people, you know, would wash their hands, especially religious leaders would wash their hands before they eat, kind of with the thinking of, like, maybe I touched something that made me unclean. Maybe I did something that made me unclean, and so I'm going to show my desire to be clean. Right? It's sort of a devotional act, right? To show, I want to honor the Lord, I want to obey him, I'm going to wash my hands before I eat as a way to honor his, his call to, to be clean, right? And to be aware of being made unclean. But basically, right, it had become a tradition probably that had been, you know, detached from the word of God and just become something you did. And so when they see, you know, Jesus' disciples not doing it, right, they pounce on that. Aha, you know, we can catch him. But Jesus responds, and he says, well, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of tradition? Right? You're concerned about a tradition being broken, and yet I see you actually breaking God's commandment because of a tradition. You put tradition above God's command. And the example he gives is God is commanded to honor your father and your mother. Right? But you say, if anyone tells his father and his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. What does that mean? Well, basically there was a tradition um, at that time where someone could say, basically, I'm going to give my whole life to God. 
I want to devote my entire self to the Lord, including all of my resources. Any financial resources I have, they all give, give, go to the Lord, they go to the temple, they go to the work of the temple, the work of the priests. Right? You can see how, man, that's awesome. Right? And basically the tradition was if you do that, then you don't have any financial obligation uh, to your parents because you've given it all to the Lord. And so we can see even as we think about the Ten Commandments, like, oh, well, that seems good, right? Because the first commandment is, um, you know, have no other gods before me, right? The Lord says, have no other gods before me. So you can see basically someone saying, look, I so value the first commandment that that, you know, overcomes all the other commandments. I'm going to give everything to the Lord to show that I have no other gods before me. And part of the tradition um, apparently was if somebody did this and then later was like, oh, my goodness, like, my father's in great need, my mother's in great need, and went to the religious leaders and says, actually, you know, that all my resources that I gave, I need some to care for my family. They would actually say, no, right? you made this vow. There's no going back on it. Apparently, that was sort of common at that time, right? You can see how someone young would say, I'm going to give everything to the Lord, and then later realize, I've got obligations. And basically, the religious leaders would say, no way. You know, you can't honor those obligations because it's been given to the Lord. And basically, what Jesus is saying is, the God, the God who is be, to be before any other God, the only God you are to worship, tells you, honor your father and mother. And so if you're saying, oh, out of worship, I'm actually not honoring my father and mother, then you've put actually some other God before God. Because again, the God who we serve calls us to honor our father and mother. A, a way of thinking about this, right, we may not say so much their traditions that we would say, you know, this allows me to disobey this commandment, but maybe their, you know, values, their devotional things for us, where we, where we can feel that, hey, because of this, because of this value, because of this thing I'm devoted to, I actually can get out of honoring my father and mother. And what does that look like, right? That can look like a lot of things. But it does seem like to me, right, that that's actually sort of part of the culture we're in right now. That sometimes, again, people are actually encouraged, the way of flourishing, right, the, the way of independence, the way of true freedom is actually to, to break those bonds, right, that you have with mother and father. Now, again, we can appreciate where that comes from. And I want to, again, be really um, clear about this, that there are many times where fathers and mothers have done very real damage. Again, I, I read that poem in the beginning, which is kind of flippant and funny, but the fact is there are situations, of course, we all know, where people have experienced abuse, physical abuse, or, uh, emotional abuse at the hands of their parents, where people have experienced abandonment, where they actually need to say, I need a very clear boundary between my parents for the sake of my own safety, for the sake of my mental health, right? And so I'm not denying that at all. That's very much a reality. And working through that can be very difficult. But I actually believe, because the scriptures tell us, we can work through that in the Lord in a way that still honors mother and father. And that actually, it will go well for us, right? That there's actually a blessing in that. Now, again, what that looks like, it's hard to speak to in a sermon, right? Because, you know, I'm speaking very broadly here. What that looks like for individuals can be very tricky and complicated. But I think it's part of what we do as a community is to help each other think through that and pray through that. How do we honor father and mother, even in a situation perhaps where our family life was really damaging and truly difficult, and we need to make those boundaries? I think there's an, there's, it's analogous to forgiveness, right? We're all called to forgiveness, right? And, but sometimes that process of forgiveness can, can be a process, right? We need help working through. How do we forgive someone, right? And forgiving someone is not um, turning a blind eye to the way they sinned against us. It's not denying it. It's actually acknowledging that, right? The only way we can forgive someone is if we acknowledge we have been sinned against, right? Something has come to us that I am called to by the Lord to forgive. 
And in his power, in light of his forgiveness, I can offer that. Again, I think that's oftentimes the process we go through in, in forgiving um, uh, uh, or in honoring our mother and father. Right? I'll just say, actually, one of the ways I learned about forgiveness, one of the most powerful ways I learned about forgiveness was it was modeled to me by my mom. And I saw her forgive. And that empowered me. So that's a, a word I would share um, to honor uh, my mother who, who shared this with me. And so again, we could do this in the Lord, but I want to acknowledge, again, that, that can be a process. And I encourage you, if you're hearing this today and saying, I don't know how to honor my father and mother, to get reach out to others and say, help me pray through this. I was talking with a, a member of our church, and I asked her about this, and we were talking about some of her experience. She said this. She said, no matter how our parents treated us, she said, I believe we bring honor to them and to our family legacy by fulfilling our calling and by living godly lives. I just, I thought that's so hopeful, right? You know, maybe my parents didn't raise me in the knowledge of the Lord, but I actually can honor them by living for the Lord, right? Because that's ultimately what parents are called to. And for me to live my life, right, to the fullest and to honor my life that they, you know, in a sense brought me into and gave me is to honor them, even if maybe I'm in a place where I need to, in a season or perhaps forever, not be in relationship with them. Finally, I just want to acknowledge that in this commandment, there's also an honoring of spiritual mothers and dads, right? I, I don't think that's first and foremost what it's about, right? I think it's significant, actually, that it just says honor your father and mother. It doesn't say honor your father and mother and other leaders, right? I mean, I think Moses would have actually liked that if it had said that, right? I mean, you wonder if he had said to the Lord, hey, can you include leaders in this? Because, like, people are really giving me a hard time, you know? But it's not. It's honor your father and your mother. But then we see in the scriptures that when it speaks of the people of God, when it speaks of community, when it speaks of the church, it uses family language and family imagery. You see that again in that First Timothy reading. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, right? Uh, older women as mothers. And we see that in that the Apostle Paul would speak of himself as a father to those in the church. We see in the Old Testament, right? Deborah, if you remember her in the book of Judges, she is a judge over Israel and she speaks of herself as a mother to Israel. And so we see that mother-father imagery used of those who God has given influence and authority. And certainly, again, that means we need to think through, how do I honor those who God has put in authority over me? How do I honor those who have influence um, in my life? Again, not in a sinful way, not in any way allowing for sin, but in a way to honor what God has done. But I actually want to encourage you to think through, where are the places where God has perhaps put you in a mother role or a father role? And maybe for some of you, you're like, no, no, I'm too young, or that's not my thing, or no, I'm not in that role at all. But I'd really encourage you to think about that. Where has God given you influence? Where are there actually places where God would call you to be modeling, um, where you are modeling, you know, whether you realize it or not, and to think through, how do I honor, actually, that calling? How do I honor the place where God actually has said, you are a mom, um, you are a dad, um, and I'm actually using you um, in that way? I was struck, actually, this, um, we had our men's retreat um, last weekend. I was just struck on that men's retreat, looking around and just seeing certain guys, and I could just see, right, I don't even know if they would say this, but I can just see they're being dads on this retreat, right? And, and again, in a good way, right? They're bad ways to be dads, but in a good way, right? They're being intentional. I can see them looking out for who are the new people that I can invite in? Who can I make sure to include, right? Who am I seeking time with to talk about how the Lord has worked in my life? And it's huge, it makes such a huge difference, right? I'd like to name names, but I wouldn't be able to name everyone, right? We see that, right? And we see that again in moms and the influence they have. There's a story in the book of Acts 
uh, where um, a woman named Dorcas um, uh, dies. And we're told that she was a disciple, like she didn't have any formal leadership role um, in the church, but just said she was full of good works and acts of charity. And when she dies, this church is so upset that they call for the apostle Peter to come. And he comes and he sees how distraught they are and how upset they are at the loss of Dorcas, um, that he prays for Dorcas and brings her back to life, right? Um, she's resuscitated and brought back to life. I just think that was a church mom, right? It doesn't say that, but that's what I read when I read about her, right? And this church is like, we still need her, and the Lord brings her back. That's the value of mothers and fathers. So again, encourage you, how is the Lord calling you? Perhaps even in a difficult situation to honor fathers and mothers, how is he calling you as a mother and father in ways you may not even see? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for family. We thank you, Lord, that you are redeeming God, and even in places where family, whether it's the family of God, the church, or our um, physical families, um, that you can bring healing, you can bring redemption, you can bring truth and build us up as your followers. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray today in particular for any who hear this commandment and it is difficult for them. I pray, Lord, that you would meet them in that place. You would open their eyes to see a way in which an honoring of their father and mother actually could be a place of freedom. And um, minister that to them, Lord. And again, we thank you um, and uh, we give thanks, Lord, um, uh, for the role that mothers and fathers have played in our lives. We thank you for the gift um, that they can be uh, to us. And we offer all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.